Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast with Muhammad Masakwa, former NFL wide receiver, is brought to you by Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. You can sponsor a child for $38 a month and release them from poverty. You can make that difference in a child's life and give them something that every child deserves to have, and that is simply hope. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Today's guest on the podcast, former NFL wide receiver Muhammad Massaqua. Now, Muhammad was selected in the second round of the 2009 NFL draft by the Cleveland Browns, 50th player overall. He played his college ball at Georgia, where he was a first-team All-SEC wide receiver and also graduated in just three and a half years with a Bachelor of Science and Psychology degree from Georgia. And then Muhammad came to the NFL and played four seasons with the Browns and then hung on for a couple years there with the Jets and the Jaguars before 2013 and injuries taking their toll and ending his NFL career. In the spring of 2017, while riding ATVs with friends, all-terrain vehicles, Muhammad was involved in an accident that resulted in the amputation of four fingers, leaving his thumb intact. And on this episode of the podcast, we talk about that injury. We talk about that accident uh, and sort of the the trauma, everything that surrounded it, and, and certainly his faith and how his faith was affected, uh, whether he wrestled with the Lord at all. Uh, in finding out that he had to have his fingers amputated. We also take a look at his time playing in the NFL, playing in college, and just what he learned there. Uh, Certainly playing for Mark Richt at Georgia, uh, a coach who wears his faith on his sleeve and the kind of impact that Coach Richt had on Muhammad's life, not just his career in football, but his life. And we also ask him about what he misses most about playing. Um, We talk about why he's thankful And it's tough to be thankful when an accident like that happens, but he is, and he'll explain why. So let's get right to it. Without further ado, former NFL wide receiver, Georgia first-team All-SEC wide receiver, Muhammad Masakwa joins us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Take a listen. Muhammad, welcome to the show. It's truly a pleasure to be here with you. I'm excited. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. Now, we're certainly going to talk about your injury and all that happened in a little bit, but I want to talk a little football for a moment. And just from a football player perspective, not the fact that everything happened with with your, your hand, but the football perspective. You last played five years ago, 2013, from what I've looked up here with the Jets and Jaguars. How much do you just miss playing football right now? I mean, I, I don't even know if you can explain it. I don't think anyone misses getting hurt or the business aspect of it, but just playing a game that you grew up playing, playing a game with your friends, the competition, the excitement of performing under pressure, I don't think that ever goes away. I think guys and girls are always struggling to recreate that in other facets of life. You made it to the NFL after a very good career in college at the University of Georgia. When did football start to become something that you realized, you know what, I'm pretty good at this thing? When did that start to kind of come to fruition for you? I'll tell you something funny. I, I'm from North Carolina, and North Carolina is a big basketball state. And I mm-hmm. had a friend 
who he came back to school six five and I came back to school like six foot and I was like, Man, if I could just grow a couple of inches, I'm gonna stick with basketball and I'll just do football to stay in shape and I never <laughs> never grew past six one, six two. So I started to take football a little serious and my high school team, a little fun fact, we actually had the longest win streak in in u.s history at 109 games so coming into a situation like that which was just heaven sent was like okay if i stick with this football thing we might be able to go places 109 games in a row that you won (laughs) i mean what was the first that's insane what was the first time that you lost a game was it not until college even crazier chris leak was part of the first quarterback i had in high school when he played for Florida and I was at Georgia and lost to Chris Leak my freshman year at Georgia and that was the first time I had lost it middle school. <laughs> Were you able to handle the loss? I mean, you hadn't been able to do that. Like, how did you deal with it? You know, it was, it was depressing for a little bit. <laughs> I have I to imagine. The competition in the SEC is a lot, a lot different than the competition in high school football. I'd say so, but 109 games in a row and not losing since middle school, man, that'll teach you quickly. I guess they say you learn a lot about yourself in college. You know, adversity comes to all of us as it has to you, but just losing for that first time. Can you describe what the feelings were like? And did you have to have conversations with Coach Rick and others about, okay, is this kind of, we're not going to win a hundred, we're not going to win every game we play, I guess, huh? Yeah, you, you mean we don't go undefeated all four years? Nah, <laughs> I, it, it it was weird. But, I mean, obviously, when you're, you're playing teams of that caliber, I, I think they might have gone on to even. If they didn't win the national championship that year, they, they were in the running for it, and they definitely won one while I was there. So you, you just understand competition is a lot different, and you, you don't run over teams as, as you do in high school. Muhammad Massaqua is our guest here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. This is a faith and sports podcast, obviously, and we talk a lot about faith here. So I'm going to ask you about that for you. What did that look like as a kid growing up, your faith, and when did that start to take shape for you as you got older? It's always been a part of, of my journey from my great-grandma to my grandma to my mom, you know, dad. Like, we're, we're all strong believers in Christ. And it's it's one of those things that even my name, it gives me an opportunity to talk to a lot of people just because my name would suggest that I'm, I may be Muslim. But mm-hmm. after getting a chance to talk to people and share my story, share my testament, just share some of the things that God has uh, done in my life is, is pretty, pretty cool. But it's just been one of those things you just, you, I, I feel God around me all the time. I, I mean, he's been with me in my journey to get into the NFL and through sports. He's been with my journey through the adversity I faced last year. And just I'm excited about all the, the doors that will be open and all the lessons to be learned for the rest of life. What did you learn in college about your faith? You played for a very uh, outspoken man of faith and coach Rick, Mark Richt. Uh, he doesn't hide his faith like, um, you know, maybe some others might as a coach. He wears it on his sleeve. I wonder what you learned from him as you got to college and, and saw your coach kind of living that out. Just to be proud. I mean, I mean, just to, to, it's, it's something that as we're all united, uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ is a, a big family. And the more you can inspire somebody, the more that you can help someone along their journey and be helped along your journey. Uh, you know, obviously coach Rick, he probably has his struggles just like everyone else does. So knowing other great believers that you can count on and pull on and be inspired and learn from and share your testimony and just grow. I think it's very impactful. 
Tell us also about playing at Georgia. You played with, you caught passes for Matthew Stafford and you played with guys like A.J. Green and Noshaw Moreno. And obviously you got drafted into the NFL. So tell us about just your time at Georgia playing uh, playing football and just what you learned and what that camaraderie was like and being a part of a team with so many talented players. Just the, the friendship piece of it. You look at whether it's Stafford or Noshaw or H.A., some of these guys would probably be Hall of Fame type players, but when you really get to know the person under the helmet, you realize that they're just great all-around guys, guys that are extremely fun to be with, guys that are lifelong friends, um, guys that I consider family at this at this point, and going through battles and really growing and, you know, just building that bond, that that camaraderie. I don't, I don't know if there's a school that's closer than, than Georgia guys. We hang out even to this day. There's several group messages that I'm on and I'll wake up and I have a hundred, 200 messages all from guys just laughing and joking. And this is, you know, 10 years after leaving Georgia. Yeah. I was just watching a video on Facebook. Tom Brady does this video called Tom versus time. And I was watching it. It's really good. Brand new one. that just came out and he talks about, uh, you know, he's a Michigan guy and he went overseas to visit the military and they had one of the, the planes had an Ohio state logo on it. And he called it out and he kind of <laughs> joked about it. And he said, I don't like anything about Ohio State. There's something about college. You know, in the NFL, you never say, I don't like anything about this team or that team. It's kind of different. College is different, though, isn't it? It's different because, in, in you, one, you get a chance to choose where you go to college. And then on top of that, unless you do something to get kicked out or your situation is something that you just have to change it for whatever reason – you're going to be a Georgia Bulldog or you're going to be a Michigan Warren or you're going to be whatever your college is. And everyone shares a pretty similar experience of those three to four or five years that you're on campus and you grow, you mature into adulthood. And there's so many lifelong friendships. It's, it's a different bond. And I could be in California or I could be in London. And if I see somebody that's Georgia, I know that we're going to just share this bond and, and have a good time together. And, and Unless you're a guy like maybe Tom Brady who's going to be a lifelong Patriot, it doesn't always work like that in, in pro sports because guys are moving around and the business aspect of it's a little bit different. But Georgia's always going to be the team that I root for. Georgia's always going to be home. Georgia's always going to be family. Well, and you were always going to be the best school. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that in there, right? Go dogs. And you were in your bachelor, yeah, of of, you were your bachelor of science in psychology in only three and a half years. Uh, from Georgia. So obviously you took your studies, uh, you know, very seriously. Tell me about that aspect of it, because even my wife was watching a game the other day, a college football game with me. And she just looked and she's like, how do they play football in college when it's really a full-time job and still go to classes and still, you know, kind of focus on schooling. And you did it in three and a half years. Tell me about that side of it. It's tough. Uh, people, they just see the product on Saturday or, you know, the teams play on Thursday night. But I remember our schedule being something like, you know, you're in study hall at 6.30 and then you go get breakfast after that. Then your first class is at 8.15 and you're in class from 8.15 to probably 1. And then you go get lunch and then you're at the facility probably at 2 to 2.30. And then you're going to be there until maybe five thirty, six o'clock. And then you have time to shower and eat then you're in study hall uh after that to do school work and you're probably in study hall to about eight o'clock and then by the time you look you're getting home eight thirty nine o'clock and it's time to crash or it's time to follow up and then you have to repeat that 
And that's basically your life for a long time. And you don't really get a chance to experience college like other people who go on internships or study abroad. So in knowing that, hey, I have this small window of opportunity to, one, live out my dream as a, as a football player and potentially go pro. But if that's a true opportunity, I, I want to be able to leave with my degree so I don't, I don't come back. So you're, you're very focused, you're very driven, but at the same time, you wish that you could have the experience of, of other people, but it's, it's just not real. So is it easier? And forgive me for saying easier, I guess that's not the right word, but I guess is it, that was the transition a little bit easier from a, from the craziness of college to coming to the NFL, where obviously on the field it's tougher, but just, you know, not having to study and take classes, even though you're in the lock, you know, in the, the, the film room and watching tape, was it a little bit easier of a transition coming to the NFL from that perspective? It's completely different because you don't have the school piece. You don't have the, the part where you're walking around campus and after win or loss, you're interacting with your, you know, the student body, the fans, or being in class and having to focus on biology or chemistry while you're preparing for Florida or LSU. It's strictly game preparation. That's a business where people, unlike scholarship or getting cut, they're coming in or they're signing new contracts to free agency. So there's a lot more moving parts. There's no such thing as your draft class is going to be there when you finish as if your signing class is there when, when you finish. So the, the, the business side of it is a lot different. It's a lot more mentally fatiguing because you're so locked into the opponent. It's a lot different from a physical standpoint because your body just breaks down faster. You're dealing with guys that are just flat out more talented. So the demand, uh, the energy that you have to exert is a lot different. So I, it's two completely different ballgames, honestly. We're talking to Muhammad Massaqua here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. You were selected by the Browns in the 2009 NFL Draft, 50th pick overall in the second round. How about the transition of coming? You kind of described how it's different mentally and preparing, but just coming to the NFL and being a rookie and you play four seasons with the Browns and just being an NFL player and a man of faith and just you know the the demands and the push and the pull and the people wanting autographs and just everything that comes with being an NFL player. What was that like? That's, that's different too. I think that's probably the one benefit of going to a big time school of, of understanding just huge fan bases, understanding performing under pressure, whether it be the SEC or the PAC 10 or the big 12 or, you know, big 10, some of these premier programs, you, you see some of it, of, of just rabid fan bases and just, being around the talented guys. So from that aspect, you kind of know what you're getting into, but it's a different life when you come into money and you come into expectations and you, you understand the business side of it. it. It takes great teammates. It takes great vets just to help you transition because nobody can prepare to be a pro unless you learn from someone or, or you learn through trial and error. Was it, was it, something where you leaned on guys like A.J. Green and Sean and Stafford and guys that were in the league at the same time as you to just kind of share stories and, and share, you know, uh, wisdom to help each other out there? For sure. You're, 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 whether it's guys that you – and, and that's, I think you build different bonds in the NFL because you 
you're going through a different life change and transition that only a few people can understand. So I'm very close to a lot of the guys that I was drafted with or the, the pro guys that I came into the league with or just having conversations. Okay. Who, how, what are you doing with your money? Like, where are you living? Did you buy? Did you rent? How are you training for the off season? Um, you know, how'd you adjust to this new city? I've never been in Ohio. Uh, so just adjusting culturally, adjusting the weather, adjusting to just everything that Ohio had to, to offer. It's a lot of different things where you're, you literally get a call and then you go to a new place and you learn new people. And it's not as if you go on an interview. It's, Hey, you're here and you're very, very appreciative of it. But at the same time, there's a, a learning curve as to how to adjust to it. You mentioned the weather. Do you have a story? Maybe that first time you played <laughs> in one of those bitter, cold Cleveland, Ohio days where you were like, oh my goodness, this is not like anything I ever played in before. Yeah, so I'm from the South, and if they even think it's going to snow, the city shuts down for at least a week. <laughs> yep. And I remember the first time it, it snowed, it was actually during a, a practice, and I, you know, I rolled over here and I called up to the facility, and I'm like, hey, you know, What's the adjusted schedule? What's supposed to happen now that it's snowing? And it's like, if you don't get your butt up here right now. And so I ended up being late because that was my first time driving in true snow. And I was probably the guy that was going 15 miles per hour just because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't want to end up in a ditch or anything. Uh, but you learn, you learn real, real fast how to adjust to the, the, the weather. Do you remember a game though? Was it a game where you, where you suited up and, you had to play in snow or you had to play in freezing cold. And, and it was just different because you, you still got to run your routes and, and follow the game plan, but the elements are there. Yeah. So people, people for some odd reason think like the worse the weather is, the, the better it's football weather. They term it as football weather. I, I 100% disagree. <laughs> we had four games my rookie year where it was in the negatives whether I think the coldest one was like negative 15 Oof. and you're running around the ball feels like a brick. The the ground feels brick. There's no amount of heat that can save you. There's no amount of hot chocolate that can save you. And instead of serving Gatorade, they're serving chicken broth and hot chocolate on the sidelines just to try to keep your, your body temperature warm. But it's literally nothing. When you, I tried wearing sleeves. That doesn't work. You don't wear sleeves. That doesn't work. It's really just about mental toughness at that point and hoping that everybody stayed up and you could get out of there with a win. <laughs> I can only imagine. The NFL, it's such a cruel league, too, in so many ways. And you you live that. You go through being a starter. And then in 2013, you sign a two-year deal with the Jaguars. They release you. You sign by the Jets. They let you go. And at 26, you're out of the league. So I, I wonder about the adjustment going from playing football for so many years and winning, obviously, all those games in high school and having a great career in college to suddenly at 26, you don't have a team to play for. What was that like and kind of the transition to to going through all that? Well, for me, I, I think injuries had a, a big factor in that where we play a very physical sport and whether it be concussions or knee injuries or just different things, broken foot, um, separated shoulder. Throughout my career, my body just broke down. So I, I kind of knew towards the, the end of it that I only had so much left, but you try to milk it for as much as possible, as, as much as you can, because it's a sport that you love and enjoy playing. But as the body goes, there's really nothing that you're going to do, do about it at that point. So 
I kind of understood uh, where it was happening. And mentally, you understand what you can do, but physically, if your body isn't uh, up up to the task anymore, you, you just kind of understand that, hey, you know, I love this game, but I have to walk away. Was there a time, though, after the injury started to heal, you know, even before the accident, which we'll talk about in just a second here, that you thought you could still play? And it's like, come on, give me a chance. Let me get a workout in something. Or was it, nah, I'm done? Uh, not at that level. Um, it, it was, it was uh, it's so funny. People come off the street and they're like, hey, you know, could I play? Or even now when I work out with a lot of my friends, if you're not devoting that type of time and if your body doesn't have the same pop, the same mojo, it's really hard just because every year there's guys that are coming in bigger, faster, stronger, or there's guys that are extremely talented that they understand the business side of it and they want to keep their jobs. And you can be mentally strong and fit, but if your body and the physical standpoint of it can't hold up to the task, then you just understand that it's better to walk away or I leave myself to getting hurt even more because things are happening so fast around me. We're talking to Muhammad Massaqua here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. All right, let's go to last year, 2017, and the accident. I, I, many people saw you write and share about this publicly with the Players' Tribune, and I'll get to that part in a second as well. But just tell us what happened. Tell us how the you know how it came about that you were on an ATV, and then what happened there as you were riding it. So for me, it, it was something that we we enjoyed doing. Uh, Friends and I, and it freak I, I, ATV ends up flipping. Um, ATV, one of those those things that um, I never expected for something like that to happen. And before I, I knew it, I was on the ground, and my left hand had been crushed. And uh, at the time, didn't really think too much of it because you're a big, strong football player and you figure, okay, I'll get a, a cast or I'll get a couple of stitches and screws. And before I knew it, I was being helicoptered to the hospital and uh, figuring out that I, I had my hand amputated. So uh, it, it was very surreal to, to think that a, a hobby could, could turn very uh, traumatic so fast. Uh, all, all my friends ended up selling their ATV short shortly after that, just to make sure that that didn't happen again. Um, so, yeah. How many times had you, you know, taken the ATV out and rode out with your friends before that accident? Dozens of times? How many yeah. times? Countless times. Yeah, countless times. And so by that time, you don't even think it's happening. When the accident does happen, when you're in the midst of it, take me to that. Is it more shock is it just kind of like, oh, my hand hurts here, but, you know, it'll be okay. Take me into sort of what's happening in your mind as the accident happens. I don't know if you can, like, truly process something like that. Uh, I don't know if you can even, like, put it into words when you have something break or you, you go through something, whether you witness it or if you if it's happening to you. So I, I think... Initially, you're you're thinking, oh my God, you know, I hope I'm okay. But in, until you come across somebody that's in the medical field that can truly diagnose what happened, you're just praying for the best at that that moment. So when it it happened, I I wouldn't be able to say, hey, um, this means my hand's getting amputated because you don't think of losing a body part uh, through any any 
activity whatsoever. It's just not a natural thought that, that people think about. Um, so it was shock for even after it happened, it was shock. Um, you know, there, there's still some times where I feel shock of saying, okay, don't, I'm really missing four fingers right now. I never expected this to happen ever in life. Tell me about how much pain you played through a lot of pain in your career. Obviously you mentioned the injuries, but tell me, was there a lot of pain or was there not a lot of pain basically? Cause you said you were shocked. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, the mental shock, physical, physical being shocked. You almost feel like you're getting electrocuted when you, you have nerve pain. So, um, I, I did football pain compared to amputation pain. You, you can ratchet that up a, a thousand times worse to, to go through an amputation and, and have that type of pain. How quickly your friends, obviously after the incident happens, I assume they take you to the hospital and you get treated right away. How did, tell me about the aftermath, you know, immediate aftermath. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, you, how somebody would call a, an ambulance. I don't have a true gauge of the timing of how everything happened, but uh, calling the ambulance, having the ambulance come to take me to a hospital, then uh, coming to the first hospital and realized that I'd have to go to another hospital where specialists would be and getting helicoptered there to getting to those specialists and, you know, coming out the gate with a 12 hour surgery to try to figure out, okay, what, what can we do here? Uh, so it, it's one of those things that it, it, it's a long time, but you have no sense of time when, mm. when this is happening because you're trying to stay calm. You're trying to, um, deal with the pain. You're trying to figure out and understand what's happening. Your, your body's in a state that it hasn't been in before because it's trying to protect itself and heal itself. Uh, so there's a lot happening that at that point you, you just don't have control of. Did you ever find yourself angry with the Lord at all during the process, especially maybe when you find out that your fingers had to be amputated? Was there any anger or, or maybe just wrestling with God? Like, why are you doing this, Lord? What are you doing here? Uh, I mean, there's so many emotions. There's so many thoughts. There's so many ups and downs. There's so many, um, it's, it's hard to put into words what exactly it is that you feel because it's not a, a natural feeling. I was talking to someone who was also an amputee and it, it's to come into the world with something you fully expect to leave out of the world with that something and to not have that, whatever it is, if you lose a leg or you lose a hand, you lose a, whatever it is to you. Once you lose that, it, and you've had it before, it's hard to put it into words what it's not like to have it because you can remember it. It's not like losing your keys and trying to find this. It's losing a part of you that will never come back and you know what that part of you feels like. So it's, I don't think I'll ever truly be able to put that into words. You waited about 10 months to share us publicly with the Players' Tribune about the accident. I wonder why why you waited so long to make that public was that just something that you were trying to work through personally or and why did you finally become uh to the point where you were able to go public with it well it it's i, I think we're in in the information age where people are expected to share things in real time and you know have every part of their life on display i, I think you 
take as much time as you need to whenever you're dealing with something. Hmm. And for me, it wasn't about sharing it for other people. I, I needed time to, for myself. Um, and I needed time to understand what had happened for myself. And there's still times where there's certain things that I'm not ready to answer. There's certain things that I don't discuss or there's certain things that I'm still working through and processing because everyone deals with things in different ways. Everyone copes with things in different ways. Everyone handles things in different ways. And instead of trying to, I guess, fake what you're feeling or, you know, appease, you know, something is better to deal with a situation internally. And then when you're ready, I, I think you can be more authentic. You could be a lot more free. You could be in a position where it doesn't trigger things and you sharing something doesn't set you back. Um, it's all about growing to that point versus just putting it out there for the sake of something that makes you uncomfortable. And the Bible calls us to be thankful in all circumstances, right? And you said in that, that Players' Tribune video that you were thankful for, quote, real things. So I encourage our audience on how you stayed thankful and, and are staying, I guess, presently thankful in what many would consider a very horrible circumstance. Tell me about being thankful. It's about perspective. It's about uh, understanding that, you know, instead of losing fingers, I could have easily lost my life. You know, there's been several people that have, you know, lost their life that I've now learned about prior to, I didn't understand that level of, you know, um, trauma in, in, involved in it, but in, in hearing what other people have gone through now, you just think, Oh, these things are fun. You, enjoy being on them and it's a hobby to do, but I, I've learned uh, afterwards just the uh, the danger associated with it that I, I didn't know prior to. So just being here and having this conversation right now, being thankful for that, being thankful to wake up every day, being thankful to continue to grow uh, and feel comfortable every day in this, this new state of, of being um, and then just not taking life for granted. You know, life can change and happen very fast. I guess other than being thankful, which is obviously a very important thing, you know, what are you learning from the Lord now during where you are in this season of life? You know, since retiring, you know, you worked at Morgan Stanley as a financial advisor. You're currently a speaker, an advocate for fitness, athletes and business, amputee causes, so many good things that you, you're able to do. But in this season of life, what is the Lord teaching you uh, just about yourself, about Him? What is God teaching you? Well, we're, we, there's, you're, you're not as in control as you think you are. And you start to understand that as you go through certain things. And, you know, there's certain things that are available to me now that I understand a lot more than I possibly would have at another time in life. So um, just continuing to learn and listen and, you know, let him guide my life uh, in the way that he sees fit and being receptive to it. He is Muhammad Masakwa, former NFL wide receiver. Uh, thankful for you, my friend, for sharing your story. I know sometimes it's hard to share it, but Often when we do, it's an encouragement to others, and I think that that's what's happening here. So, listen, I appreciate you being a guest here on the podcast and uh, wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good luck to, to you, and thank you for what you're doing and a great platform that you've created. And we do thank Muhammad Masakwa, former NFL wide receiver, for sharing his inspirational story with us here 
on the Sports Spectrum podcast. What a what a journey, you know, going from NFL player and I mean, really, even going back to high school when he never lost a game during his high school football career and then coming to Georgia and being a very good player, uh, obviously all SEC first team and getting selected in the second round by the Browns, but then the accident and losing four fingers and just what he's learned in that process, very inspirational. You can follow along uh, Muhammad's journey and stay in touch with him uh, on the internet, com is his website, and certainly on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. He is at Iron Massaqua, I-R-O-N-M-A-S-S-A-Q-U-O-I, Iron Massaqua on social media. We thank Muhammad for joining us here and sharing his story on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. We also thank you for listening. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Sports Spectrum, and you can see all of our content over at sportspectrum.com where we have daily devotionals and daily content, including articles written on the intersection of sports and faith. We also want to thank our sponsor, Compassion International, $38 a month. This is such a great way for you to make a difference in a child's life. So many of us wonder, okay, how can I make a difference? Where can I take my hard-earned money and put it in a place that will make, literally make a difference directly to a person or a child. In this case, it's a child that you can change forever. You can change their trajectory by sponsoring them through Compassion International for $38 a month. It's the best $38 you will spend every single month, and you're releasing a child from poverty and giving them exactly what they need, food, education, vocational training, medical care, everything they need, all done in the name of Jesus. It's a great way to make a difference. Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.